0: Good evening. Thank you very much Ben for leading us Uh, and tonight we're going to return to this series called Sluggards, Sloths and Leaky Faucets. I don't know how you've been getting on with this but the wisdom of this ancient book of Proverbs has had a bit of an impact on our life and there have been days when we've followed David's challenge of reading it, and it certainly has brought fresh ideas, fresh light into our thinking about how to live that day. Uh, and I must say, even when we miss it, it's been there like a mirror saying, so it's your decision to live your own way today. And and even in its absence, this book has really captured... Uh, our attention to some extent. And when you think about it, the everyday realities of life in 2016 are covered by these writings that extend back almost 3,000 years, including making friends, coping with sexuality, handling money, responding to poverty, making a living, facing death, All of life seems to be covered by this book of Proverbs. And this book is about seeing the world in a fresh way and working out what living for God looks like in the ordinariness of daily life. I've got a question for you and one that you uh, need to respond to some way or other, whether verbally or in your own mind. Here it is. How many times does Proverbs mention prayer, do you think? You don't have to have read it all. You don't have to have have taken up the challenge of David, but have a guess. How many times do you think prayer is mentioned in the 31 chapters of Proverbs? Anybody want to venture a a guess, or maybe you know? None? Any, Any advance on None? (laughs) <laughs> well, yep, it's, uh, that's a pretty good start. I think if you read every reference to prayer of any sort, you'll find a few. It appears in chapter 15, in chapter 28, and in chapter 30. But on each occasion... It's not really a description of how to pray. It's more about how to relate to God in the context of handling money or handling friendships or handling some situation in life. And so in in many ways, I think, Isabel, you're right. Uh, It's not a book about prayer. In fact, it says hardly anything about the temple. It says very little about religious ceremonies. Uh, Here's a comment about what one writer has called an unreligious book and this is Derek Kidner, so he's a pretty uh, religious writer. It's a book which seldom takes you to church. Like its own figure of wisdom, it calls to you in the street about some everyday matter or points things out at home. Its function in Scripture is to put godliness into working clothes to name business and society as, fears, as spheres in which we are to acquit ourselves with credit to our Lord and in which we are to look for his training. I love that idea, godliness in working clothes. So where have we seen those working clothes? Well, last week David spoke about taking initiative in five areas, uh, they were in relationships, in work, in health, in finances, and in our own hearts. And tonight, we're going to think about taking action. Proverbs calls us to do good, and so that's the uh, theme of this evening. I don't know if you've heard about the paradoxical commandments. Anybody heard of the paradoxical commandments. We had a series uh, last year, earlier this year, called Paradoxology. But anybody heard about the paradoxical commandments? They were written in 1968 by a student in the States called uh, Kent Keith. Bit of a difficult name, so probably not one that is well known. And they were published and spread around the world uh, in their millions. And even Mother Teresa took a copy of these and put them up on the wall of the home of uh, the mother and baby unit in Calcutta. And here are six of these paradoxical commandments. And hopefully you'll see that they do relate in some way to the theme of Doing good in proverbs, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. The good you did today, do today, will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. And here's the last one. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Any recognition of, of the uh, paradoxical commandments? Well, in case you're bracing yourself for a sermon that will make you sque- scream, please relax, because I don't think that's what Proverbs is meant to do, and I hopefully I won't do that. There are hard truths that will not just affirm our lifestyle choices, whatever we want, but the wisdom in Proverbs is realistic about many of the choices and the competing demands that we all face in life. So here's a summary for tonight. Doing good will always be in demand. Doing good is never without risks. And thirdly, doing good will nourish your own soul. So what does doing good look like? Well, I'm not going to define doing good because uh, we could, I'm sure each come up with something that we can relate to as we think about it, and I'd rather leave it there. So whatever you are conscious of in terms of what doing good looks like in your situation, think about that as we go through tonight. But there's a vision for doing good in Belfast, that's been going for almost 10 years. And we're part of it here in this church, Storehouse. Uh, Storehouse would say that the need in Belfast to do good is increasing all the time. And I've got just uh, less than a minute of a reminder of what Storehouse is about. So here it is. No, it's not coming through. Well, you kind of know what it is. It's the trolley that comes out once a month. It's the reality that for many people, they're only one pay packet away, or two perhaps, from a situation where they are in real difficulty. And it's this vision that Storehouse has, which started just with one church seeking to reach out to a number of people to a situation now where hundreds of people, every week, go home with a few days' food supply, maybe furniture, Uh, clothing, whatever their need is. And it's certainly a demand that is on the increase. And we see that right across the country. Food banks everywhere are taking off. And I know this place is a place that responds with great energy to storehouse, as well as to many other opportunities to serve and do good. And I can think of quiet acts of goodness. They're sometimes expressed in ways In which the giver and receiver don't even meet because there are times where i've been asked to pass something on to a needy person as a delivery man and have often had the privilege of seeing how blessed and equipped people are with those quiet gifts to be able to resource themselves get back on their feet and be in a position where they then become the helper and the person who's blessing somebody else by its very nature Such doing good is not possible to talk about, but it does happen. And it's wonderful to see the way in which it does. And as well as Storehouse, there's the freezer ministry where Debbie Thompson gathers supplies, distributes meals, not always because of a risk of going hungry, but often as a means of saying to people, here's a bowl of soup, here's a shepherd's pie, in a situation where they realize they're not alone. And there's a quiet goodness that's going on through many people in this church. Look at the way Proverbs speaks about goodness. And here's a verse which describes this activity. Proverbs chapter 3 And it's not 27 to 18, but 27 to 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Here is a challenge from Proverbs. So a question would it change the way we see the world, and um, the way in which we see need, if we saw it not so much as pitiful people in desperate situations for whom I could be generous now and again, but rather as the way the Proverbs has described it. In fact, a debt that I owe. Something that people deserve care that in fact is my debt of gratitude to them. The Salvation Army have probably been at the forefront of this kind of doing good, and and, uh, one of the most responsive groups that I know of, and it goes right back to the founders, William and Catherine Booth, and Campbell Morgan was an evangelist who often traveled with them and was preaching around England. And he says, wherever Catherine Booth went, humanity went to hear her. Princes and peeresses merged with paupers and prostitutes. And Catherine Booth often spoke in situations like that. One night, Campbell Morgan shared a meeting with her, and a great crowd of people went to hear her. And her message brought many people to Christ. And after the meeting, Morgan and Mrs. Booth went to the home of a grand lady who was in the meeting. And uh, the conversation went something like this. Uh, My dear Mrs. Booth, that meeting was dreadful. To which Mrs. Booth said, what did you mean? When you were speaking, I was looking at those people opposite me. Their faces were so terrible, many of them. I don't think I shall sleep tonight. And Mrs. Booth said, why, dearie, do you not know them? And the hostess said, certainly not. Well, that's interesting, Mrs. Booth replied, because I did not bring them with me from London. They are your neighbours. And as Mrs. Booth in that situation pointed out, the people who were seen as dreadfully needy and who were almost the cause of this grand lady's nightmares, were in fact her neighbours. And that's the thrust, I think, of Proverbs chapter 3, to see people as your neighbour and to look not at a desperately pitiful need. And that was the point, of course, of Jesus' parable, the Good Samaritan. That man who looked at human need and saw beyond the racial differences, saw beyond the physical violence and condition to somebody who he owed a debt to. And it was a story that Jesus told when, when these teachers of the law stood up and wanted to justify themselves and said, who is my neighbor? And Luke chapter 10 has that picture of these experts in the law who knew the scriptures so well and yet who were trying to wriggle out of responsibility. Who is my neighbor? There is always a demand for doing good. But unless we see that we are somehow connected to it, it will just depend on how generous we feel at the time. John Stott said, We have to feel what Jesus felt, the pangs of hunger the alienation of the powerless, and the indignities of the wretched of the earth, for ultimately the unacceptable inequalities between north and south are neither political nor economic, but rather moral. Until we feel moral indignation about the worldwide social injustice and a strong compassion for worldwide human suffering, I seriously doubt if we shall be moved to take action. And the question I think I need to ask myself as I think about this subject is, do I see opportunities to do good? Am I aware of them? Am I looking out for where I can see real need around me? Am I moved to take action and do good? Or is it just something I see? If not, maybe it's that I don't really feel any indignation. I don't feel any strong compassion for human suffering. But certainly doing good is always in demand. And we could just stop here with a benediction that says, now, just go out and do it. Let's find some human need and do something about it which I think was the compulsion that William Booth felt when he left his pulpit to go into the streets of London and do something. But a couple more thoughts. And one that Proverbs, I think, is very realistic about is that doing good is never without risk. Now, it's not just the risk of critics. I'm sure many of you have been called do-gooders or you're aware of people around you who look at Christians and think, all they're really doing is solving their guilty conscience. But there's more than that. There is personal risk here. How do I know what need is genuine? How do we work out where we should be pouring our energies? What if I give more than I should and end up in debt and leave myself burned out? The problem is, Is that the demand just never goes away and exposing yourself to injustice or suffering can quickly lead to compassion fatigue and I'm gonna swallow this I think at some point tonight you know that feeling where there's overwhelming need that becomes the cause of your own neediness there is a real risk if you say, yes, I'll do it. I'll do something here. I'll do good in my world. Because the harder questions are, but, but where? But how? But when? How often? Is indiscriminate goodness to anyone every time what I should be doing? Is that the kind of approach I should take? Thinking, well, I don't want to miss this. So I'm just going to give myself at every opportunity. We have limited resources of time and energy and can't respond to every need. Committing random acts of kindness may be a nice idea in reality. We need to apply some kind of thoughtful strategy because we don't have endless resources to meet those needs. But Proverbs does help us because here in this command, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, there's a qualifying detail that's really important, I think, to pick up. And it's, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. So there are some people who may not deserve it and I think that's what the Proverbs implies. A food bank was set up in Thessalonica to feed people who were unable to work. But according to Paul, there were a few sluggards and sloths who just decided to put their feet up, not do any work, and cash in on the food bank. And Paul, in his very clear instructions in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, you can look it up, gave this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work. We command them to work and earn their living. You see, the whole idea of doing good does depend on some judgment that we're called to do. And Paul recognised there were people who were quite happy to freeload on the back of a church that was sacrificially setting aside goodness. And they said, well, I'll just be having some of that. The command in Proverbs 3.27 is about the need to help people who are poor. But it also implies those who, who don't deserve it. So there's that risk of spongers who people people who just decide, yeah, I don't really need to push myself that hard because there's other people here and they're doing all of the work and I'm just going to have some of it. Then there's another risk to this. There's a risk that comes up in another part of Proverbs and that is dependency. Because in Proverbs chapter 16, the qualification on the command to do good is this. The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. So hunger and other desires can be good for us because they stimulate us to work hard and provide for ourselves. So much effort in solving the problems of poverty, pro- poverty around the world, including, I think, Christian mission, result sadly in more harm because we view it as a material problem rather than a people problem. And a book that I think should be on everyone's reading list before getting involved in any situation of need is, is called When Helping Hurts. And it's a fantastic expose of how, as the title says, we can alleviate poverty without hurting the poor or ourselves. And that is a challenge. It claims that the risks of a material solution to human problems fails to see the real issue, which is always a relationship one. Because always, it's always about people. And he, here's a brief summary of the, of the book in about one minute. It describes the challenge, the first step in thinking about working with the poor in any context is to discern whether the situation calls for relief, rehabilitation, or development. So here's a summary that you can take away as you step into your week and maybe meet a crisis or maybe face a need, whether it's locally or around the world. Relief can be the urgent, temporary provision of emergency aid to immediately solve suffering in a crisis. But rehabilitation begins as soon as the bleeding stops, as soon as the immediate crisis ends. And it seeks to restore people to their communities, to the positive elements of before their crisis. And then development is a process of ongoing change that moves all of the people involved, not just the developer And the people who need developed. But all together, helpers and the helped. Closer to being in a right relationship with God. And the rest of creation. And development is not something that's done to people. Or even for people. But with people. And I think that's the challenge if we're going to be discerning. In how we reach out to one another. So, a couple of qualifications. There's one third qualification of the concern to do good. And that comes from Jesus who knew how easily we can pat ourselves on the back for a selfless good deed when in reality all we're doing is exchanging favours. In Luke chapter 14, he says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Righteous. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a dinner with friends or a dinner with wealthy people, but that's not true goodness. What Jesus is saying here is that goodness is not about exchanging favors. You scratching my back, and I'll scratch yours. One last word on wisdom about limits for doing good. There might be a situation. About which you feel very deeply and you want to respond to. But it's not in your power to do it. So, what do you do? Verse 27 makes it clear that this command is not for you. I think there are some good hearted people who live under a permanent sense of never having done enough. You know, there's great need out there. How can we enjoy ourselves? When it's in your power, do it. When it's not, then ask God to provide someone else and believe that his family is big enough to care. The Samaritan, going back to the story that Jesus told in Luke 10, may have made sure that his fellow traveler was given relief. But I don't think he canceled his business trip or whatever... Errand he was on, he didn't bring him home to his family and have him live with him. I wonder, do these warnings about the risks discourage you? Maybe it seems like it's easier just not to bother, and this is all too complicated. I don't want to get involved, I'll just live a quiet life. The main point of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 is in the first four words, do not withhold good. That's the challenge. We can't get away from that. But the final thing I want to say is that this is not just an act of selfish or selfless effort, but doing good will nourish your own soul. Sounds all right. Have you had the experience of going out of your way and doing good and really pushing yourself and discovering to your surprise that actually you're the one who has been refreshed? A few years ago, we ran for a number of years an annual community care week when we posted invitations to 3,000 homes in this area inviting people to sign up if they would like someone to come and help with anything from uh, painting, gardening, shopping, uh, even just a cuppa and a conversation. And so for a week in September, we used to go into the neighborhood and do all of this hard work of caring and doing good. And the buzz of conversation, usually at the end of a day of how can we love you, was fantastic. A sense of excitement and joy. People saying things like, I have never worked as hard in all my life, but I've never felt as good. And there was that excitement about really engaging with people in this community and doing good. So why do we feel good when we do good? Proverbs chapter 11 says, Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. The main reason why we feel good is that we are made in the image of a God who is by nature good. And like him, we have an enormous capacity for goodness. And this microphone has an enormous capacity for getting in the wrong place. So here's a takeaway for this week. Why not look for at least one opportunity every day of this week to show kindness to someone or something? Could be a simple act, could be a gracious word It could be a huge act of self-sacrificial giving of time or money. But the point is that goodness is a way of life for those people who see themselves made in the image of God. And God is inexhaustible in his goodness. And it's not only our identity that this involves as people who are made in God's image, but it's also our worship. It's what we're called to give back to God. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is the purpose of the good work of Christ in giving himself to us all the way to death for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The purpose is the good works prepared by God in advance and we do them in gratitude to him. When we think about the work that Christ has done for us, our response is to say yes we have been so blessed we have been made this way and even before the creation of the world god has wired me in such a way as i can reach out to those around me and do good and bless them so what can you take from this 3000 year old wisdom for 2016 did you know that you're unique Personality and abilities are the very things that can be stretched into the service of Christ as you do good to other people. So, you're never useless. And if you feel burned out because there's just too much, then. There's wisdom about walking away and not feeling responsible for every problem in the world. And according to Proverbs, you can help by saying no. And yet the very work that can appear so demanding may be the means to free you from a a loveless disengagement with the needs of the world. And your kindness will reward you. So may we go in the name of Christ into this week and do good.